It's time for Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the show focusing on fishing, hunting, outdoor recreation, destinations, and conservation in the region where you live and play. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lure Company, Sportsman's Warehouse, and Wallowa County. And now, let's see what's going on in the field and on the water with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. I'll tell you what, our giveaway we did last week, that smoked salmon from Cena Sea Seafoods, it was very popular. It had all sorts of people who don't normally participate in our Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week asking for a chance to win one of the three foil wrap packages of wild-caught Alaskan coho or sockeye salmon that we gave away. And something that was really interesting to me was the breakdown of where people lived who entered that. Far and away, Oregon and Washington had the most respondents. We had one from Wyoming tuning in to our affiliate KYDT out of South Dakota, and we had zero out of Idaho. We had no other ones out of Wyoming, and we had zero out of Montana, even though we've got a number of stations in all three states. Makes me wonder if folks in the Rocky Mountain states aren't as keen about smoked salmon as folks in the Pacific Northwest. Just an interesting observation for you there. But if you didn't win, you can always go to Sena C, that's S-E-N-A-S-E-A dot com and check out the smoked salmon and other wonderful premium wild-caught Alaskan seafood they have available there. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we've got some great guests for you. We're going to wade into some controversy when we talk to Bob Reese. He's the executive director of the Northwest Guides. It's Association, and he, along with others in the sport fishing industry and environmentalists alike, are advocating for the removal of the four Snake River dams. Bob argues that removing these dams is the only way we're going to save our salmon and steelhead from eventual extinction, and I think you're going to want to hear more about this topic. We'll be asking Bob some tough questions on this subject. Bob Loomis is back for an extended Max Minute, and then we are taking you to one of my favorite places to go. It's Mardon Resort at Eastern Washington's Potholes Reservoir. We'll be talking to Annie Meesberg. She is one of the owners of this family-run resort, and we're going to tell you about another big bass tournament that's coming up there May 14th, where they're actually giving away a bass boat to one of the hourly winners. And we'll tell you about all the new things going on at the resort because there's a bunch. If you haven't been to Mardon Resort in the last few years, you've got to go. I mean, it is completely renovated and updated. And they've got a mini golf course. They've got great food at the beach house. The docks are still great places to fish. The swim beach is still there. It's just the perfect place to go, either for a couple's vacation, a friend's getaway, or a family vacation. And after you hear from Annie, I think you'll be booking a stay there in a hurry. After we talk to Annie, we'll catch up with Roger Phillips, the public information supervisor for the Idaho Department of Fish and Game, and tell you about some interesting outdoors news on the conservation and hunting front from the Gem State. Throw in our Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week, and yes, once again, we've got another great show coming your way. So let's get it started with another edition of Sportsman Spotlight with David Sparks. Ducks Unlimited agronomist Stephen Dvorak is the primary developer of a tool that assigns relative ratings from 0 to 4 for each variety found in a winter wheat database. He asked his own question. Answer the most obvious question, why in the world is Ducks Unlimited doing agronomy? Let's answer that question. This is David Sparks with Sportsman's Spotlight. Tell me about the state of ducks. Are they thriving? At this point, they're thriving quite well. Whenever you have lots of water on the landscape such as we do this year and we've had for some time. You're going to draw in uh, nesting pairs that want to grow family in that environment. 
and so they're going to nest somewhere. As long as we have adequate nesting habitat, we've been able to put together a pretty good flock of birds. So yeah, we're in pretty good shape right now. There's growing concerns of continued loss of grass on the landscape. That's our traditional nesting habitat with the conversion to cropland. And that's why the focus on promoting winter wheat has become as important as it is. To flesh that out a little bit more, we realize that the vast majority of ducks are produced or hatched and reared on private land. And, you know, our farmer friends are truly our, our best friends because they're, they're the ones that actually deliver on what our goals are. And that's to, that's to make sure that the skies are filled with ducks in the fall and the spring when the migration is on. And this is just one way for us to give back to a group, to a community that we very much respect and appreciate. And we're just looking for ways to give back. The first 75 days of a potato's life is fragile. It's crucial to be proactive in keeping diseases and pests from devastating your crops. The Bayer family of products provides an agronomic force field around potatoes that helps create a successful harvest and high yield potential. And potatoes love it in here. Because it's not very pleasant outside the force field. Let's go back in. Phew, we should stay here forever, or at least the next 75 days. Learn more at BayerPotato75DayIPM.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions. The best place to reach a farmer with a farming solution message is when they're, well, farming. It's easy to find them during the day as most farmers are behind the wheel of their pickup truck or farm equipment with the radio on, listening to this station for the Ag Information Network of the West News. So reach real farmers right here, right now, as they listen to what's important to their farm operation. Give us a call and we'll connect you with our local farming community. They trust us, so they'll trust you. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. Country hunters and anglers. You may have heard of us, but what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to boots on the ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. You know, it's been a while since we talked about Representative Mike Simpson's proposal to breach four of the Snake River dams to bring back more salmon and steelhead, which are in real trouble on the Snake and Salmon Rivers right now and other tributaries. That's why we've got Bob Reese on the line. He is a fishing guide. He's also one of the men behind the Guides Forecast, a great newsletter you should subscribe to. And he's also the executive director of the Northwest Guides and Anglers Association. Bob, welcome to the show. John, thanks again for having me on. Let's talk about where we're at right now. Representative Simpson, who's actually a Republican, rolled out this proposal about a year ago. It's gotten some support, primarily from Democrats, but I haven't heard much recently. What's going on behind the scenes on this issue? Well, there is there is a growing effort from different delegates, and even the Washington governor has now taken a role in finding a future for Snake River salmon in the sense that you know, they've got an initiative, both Senator Murray and Governor Inslee. They're taking a hard look on what alternatives can be achieved to ensure recovery for Snake River salmon, as well as keeping those communities that might be affected through such an initiative whole in the sense that, you know, it's not going to be a winnable situation on either side's view if 
somebody get their livelihoods cut out from underneath them. Now, we get that all the time. On the, We're used to it in the sport fishing fleet. We got closed down on April 6th on the main stem Columbia. We're a month out from peak migration on the main stem Columbia. And so, you know, we're sitting on the sidelines. I mean, thankfully, we have the Willamette to work with. But, boy, there's a lot of folks in Washington, not to mention some of the lower Columbia communities that are cut out of a credible natural resource because we need to protect these endangered Snake River fish from going extinct. And so, you know, this is a winnable situation. It's a win-win situation that can happen if we have a collaboration between, you know, the parties and the Congress, both in the House and the Senate. And we're at a point now where those parties are coming together and having those conversations and finding a solution that can appease both the irrigators and, and the ag community as well as the energy sectors that need the proper attention to make sure we don't send Snake River salmon towards extinction. Now, obviously, the Northwest Guides and Anglers Association supports breaching the dams to bring back salmon and steelhead up the Snake River and its tributaries. And there's a shit that's circulating right now through the Northwest Sport Fishing Industry Association. What's this petition all about? Yeah, it's nsiafishing.org, or Google the Northwest Sport Fishing Industry Association. So what we've been saying for quite a while is we're at a point now where this has been studied to death. $19 billion has gone into recovering Snake River salmon, and we're still not there yet. So a colossal waste of taxpayer money, not to mention our salmon are not recovering. And so what's impeding recovery is not the science. It's not the public's will and want to do that. It's the political will that's impeding recovery. And so the idea behind the petition is to get as many signatures as possible and I think we're nearing about a 1,000, get as many signatures as possible, send them off to our Senate members, both in Oregon and Washington, telling them that as a constituency, this is of vital importance to us. So the more people that we have sign that petition, the louder our voice is that we want salmon recovery, that we don't want April 6th closures on the Columbia. We are going to have an extensive part of the buoy 10 season that's going to be closed to catch and keep any Chinook, mostly because of Thule Chinook, but also Snake River fish factor into that too. And, you know, we have the, the tools in the toolbox to recover these fish. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've seen that uh, graphic that's out, but, you know, this year we have 130,000 spring Chinook coming back to the Columbia River. What recovery means from the standpoint of snake river salmon for spring salmon, we could have over a million fish come back if we had those dams taken out, along with positive productive ocean conditions. Can you imagine? I mean, in 2001, when we had 430,000 come back, we had two fish bag limits, river-wide openings, almost the entire month of April was open. The fishing was over-the-top fantastic. And yet here we have before us some models that indicate a million spring schnook could return back to the basin. That would be unprecedented opportunity and benefit to these rural communities up and down the Columbia River. It, it would be wonderful. You are right about that. And folks, again, to find the petition, it's nsiafishing.org. That's where you can find this petition. And put your name to it if you choose to do so to support breaching the dams and bringing back up to a million salmon a year. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There's a lot of folks that are opposed to this, and we're talking about 
chambers of commerce who are going to be affected by tourism. We're talking about farmers and people in the ag community who routinely barge their products down through the locks of these dams and not going to be able to do that anymore. And we're in a situation right now where we have rising electrical costs, rising transportation costs, and, and these dams do generate electricity. What do you say to these people who are, like you said, could be losing their livelihood here if these dams are breached? Yeah, I mean, it seems unlikely to me that they would lose their livelihoods. I mean, if anything, cost of goods sold might increase. You know, there's there's ways to still get grain to port by rail or by semi-truck, you know, and those aren't the most ideal scenarios for sure. But there's ways to make improvements to infrastructure to make that more economical. But I mean, we're, we're living in a time where we're dealing with 8.5% inflation year over year. And I think the last thing people want to hear is that their bread or any other product that's made with wheat is going to rise even more, potentially because of this issue. Yeah, I mean, no question. All the factors do have to come into place, and we have to have a good grip on what the impact's going to be to the region. Absolutely, that has to happen. The fact of the matter is, is that there are solutions to each one of these sectors' issues with recovery. The other fact of the matter is there is no solution to extinction for Snake River salmon. So, you know, we've sat on the sidelines decade after decade. You know, we went to Mark Select Fisheries. We have ways to still prosecute a fishery and recover Snake River salmon. These dams, The one of the graphics that's provided as well on the NSI website is that between all the different mortality rates that exist in Columbia Basin salmon, dams take about 60%, kill about 60% of the smolts, while all the other factors, pinnipeds, invasive species, fish, uh, for example, fishermen both in river and in the ocean, all those other factors don't even come close to the mortality rates associated with those dams. So we have to find a solution to that or face extinction and further restrictions in these sport fisheries that provide that economic benefit to these rural communities. Bob, I'm glad you brought up those other issues. That was exactly what I was going to ask you next was, what if we're wrong? What if we breach the dams and we still have these issues because of predation from pinnipeds, from fish, from birds like terns and cormorants and pelicans, and then commercial fishing, and then gill netting on the river, and then ocean conditions. I mean, what if we breach the dams and the gamble doesn't pay off? Then we're stuck with higher prices for all these goods, higher electrical costs, and we still don't get the fish back. Are you certain in your mind that if we do this, the fish will come back? Yeah, I mean, it's not just me. I mean, I was schooled in fisheries, but there are scientists that are far more uh, educated in this issue than I am. And well over 100 have provided their names to a sign-on letter indicating that, yes, indeed, there will be marked improvement and recovery to Snake River salmon if these dams come out. That's when those runs started getting depleted. And it's certainly the factor that will contribute to their recovery as well. And, you know, besides the fact we're talking about recovery, I mean, we're, we need to stave off extinction before we consider recovery. And that's the only way. Even Mike Simpson, the guy who's in the heat of it all, he, he and his staff have spent a year having these conversations around the region and studying this issue. You know, for a Republican in the state of Idaho to come out and develop a plan to recover these fish and to keep the communities that he represents whole is a huge, huge deal, as you previously indicated. He's not going to stick his neck out if he didn't think that it was going to save, you know, an, an industry that's in his district, too, the Outfitters and Guides of Idaho, who have been taking huge hits on restrictive seasons, are the ones who help spur 
his initiative to get something done on behalf of Snake River Salmon. All right, we have got to go. But again, folks, if you want to sign the petition supporting this, then just go to the NSIA website. You'll find that at nsiafishing.org. Look for the petition. Put your name to it if you choose to do so. And with any luck, if enough people sign, and I'll admit, I plan on signing myself, we might, just might, be able to bring our salmon and steelhead back on the Snake River. Bob, thanks for fighting the good fight, and thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate your time. the great outdoors on northwestern outdoors radio with john cruz it's that time again it's time for another extended max minute and with us again is bob loomis this week we're talking kokanee and i've got a question about dodgers all right ask away max lure has two different dodgers one is the double d and one is the sling blade you brought with you in studio today a sling blade specifically for kokanee why would you use one over the other and how do you fish it differently well, the difference that you have in the two, one of them is more of a square blade. The other one is a longer, narrower blade. So with that in mind, the longer, narrower blade, i.e. the sling blade, can be fished at a faster speed before it starts to roll. So it works really well for trout and for kokanee in mid to late season when you are wanting to fish a little bit faster versus early in the season when you want to fish a little bit slower and the double D dodger works a little bit better because you can fish it a little bit slower and get the same amount of movement out of it. Let's talk about speeds for the sling blade when it comes to trout and kokanee. What are we talking? The sling blade, you can fish it down as slow as, you know, probably... I would guess a half a mile an hour, but you wouldn't really want to fish that for the kokanee. But still, early in the season, you know, you want to fish down around, oh, one, 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 two in that neighborhood. And that's why we use the double D Dodger because it works so well, being a wider, a little bit shorter blade. And the sling blade at faster speeds, when you start getting up into that one, three, one, four, all the way up to two, work fantastic. All right. Want to troll fast? Use the sling blade. Want to slow it down? Use the double D Dodger. You'll find both at quality sporting goods stores near you and online anytime at all at maxlure.com. Looking for that extra something that will get more salmon or trout into your boat? Then check out the Double D Dodger from Max Lure. The Double D does double duty and helps you catch more fish. The Double D's flash attracts lunkers and the Dodger's patented stop-start action works wonders to get those fish biting. The Double D does even more by acting as a side planer to get your bait away from the boat where the fish are more likely to be and more apt to strike. The Double D Dodger, it's the Dodger you've got to have from Max Lure. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. 
Go fishing, make money, help out, and have fun. That's what the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery is all about. From May 1st through September 30th, catch pike minnow out of the Columbia and Snake Rivers and turn them in for cash. Pike minnow eat juvenile salmon and steelhead. Each one you catch helps more juvenile fish reach the ocean. Pike minnow are worth anywhere from 5 to 8 bucks, and keep an eye out for tagged fish worth $500. Find out more at pikeminnow.org and go fishing! You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We are taking you to one of my favorite places in the world. It's Mardon Resort. It's located on the south end of Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington. And with me on the line today is one of the owners, Annie Meesberg. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. So I was just at Mardon last week, was there for the weigh-in for the Mount St. Helens Bassmasters Big Bass Tournament, and two lucky anglers walked away with over $5,000 for the bass they caught. As impressive as that is, that doesn't compare to the Nixon's Marine Big Bass Tournament that's coming up on May 14th. I understand there's going to be, what, $50,000 in cash and prizes given away there? Yes, that's what we're hearing, and that's, yeah, May 14th. It's coming up quickly, and we're very excited for that. That's going to be a fun tournament. This was formerly the Berkeley Big Bass Tournament, folks. Now Nixon's Marine is taking charge of it, and what happens is every hour you have a chance to weigh in your biggest bass that you catch, and if it is a big bass, you get cash, and it's paid down to certain levels. First place gets X amount, second place X amount, maybe all the way down to fifth, and one of the hourly winners is going to win a brand new Skeeter bass boat with a 200 horse Yamaha outboard. That's going to be quite a treat for somebody, isn't it, Annie? Yeah, that's. I'm sure that'll be a, a huge treat, and we'd love to see that happen here. Just hoping that the weather gets warm and we can have a lot of fishermen here on a somewhat calm day that weekend. Yeah, no kidding. It was definitely not calm. Uh, when I fished the, the big bass tournament I was in, but May's a little more conducive. Usually have pretty good weather there. You know, one of the things about the, these big bass tournaments, uh, they're growing in popularity, and I think it's because any blind squirrel can find a nut, as they say. You just need one <laughs> big bass to win it, and they draw a good crowd. And something else is they're a little bit easier on the fish, too, aren't they? Yeah, that's my understanding. And I think it's a little bit easier to take on going out there and trying to find one good fish rather than putting a five bag fish together and just moving less fish across the lake to come into the weigh-in. Seems like it's a really popular thing and a lot of younger kids are jumping in to try this sport. Well, as a matter of fact, the, the winners of that last bass tournament, they were 22 years old and they were champs when it came to outfishing myself and my best friend Rusty Johnson and quite a few other folks. So you're right, they are a lot of fun. It is easier on the fish folks because think about it. In a typical bass tournament, you get your five fish, you put them in the live well, they might be there half the day, you have to transport them back, the water's rough, they're getting beat up, and then you release them. And there's going to be some mortality, but on a big bass tournament, literally, if you catch a bass and it's less than three or four pounds, you're just throwing it back, and that bass is going to be just fine. And you're basically bringing one bass, maybe two bass, to the docks for the weigh-in, and it's just a lot better for the resource. And I know for a fact, Danny, your family definitely cares about the resource when it comes to bass, walleye, and other fish in Bottles Reservoir. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. And yeah, and it does make sense. You know, you're putting them through less stress and especially last Saturday on a day where we had winds and it was it was a rough boat ride to and from the sand dunes to come back in here and weigh your fish an hourly. And yeah, just putting one fish that stress or like you said, two other than five, it just seems like a good deal for the fish all around. Let's go ahead and pivot, and let's talk about Mardon Resort. I was eating at your wonderful bar and grill, the Beach House, the night before my tournament, and it was interesting to me, the crowd that was there, because, you know, I'm an angler, I'm a hunter, and, and I see a lot of those folks that come to Mardon Resort, but I was seated next to two women who were just on a spring break getaway and staying in one of your park cottages, and they left, and then a couple guys sat down. They were there for a golfing vacation. There were several local residents, and of course, there were several anglers who were fishing the tournament. I mean, you've got all sorts of people coming to the resort for all sorts of different reasons, don't you? You know, we do, and that's kind of something, you know, our roots are always towards the fishermen and the hunters as well, of course, during that time of year. But we've also really been trying to reach out to other people that show them that there's other things to come do in this area. There's a beautiful golf course just a mile down the road. We have mini golf here, of course, and some people just want to get out of the traffic, come over, sit in one of the cottages and just look out at the lake and relax and kind of get away from it all for a couple of days. And so we're, we're really lucky in the fact that we get to have all different kinds of people come here and vacation and enjoy this area. And yeah, the restaurant there, they put out a great plate of food. They're doing a fantastic job. You know, we also got to talk about what a, a family friendly resort Mardon is too. I mean, you've got the, this putt-putt golf course is just awesome that opened up last year. Tell us a, a little bit about what went into that. Yeah, so uh, the mini golf course was definitely a, a project. We started it at the beginning of COVID, had to shut down when they shut down all of construction. So it just kind of sat partially done for a whole summer. The crew jumped back into it and got it finished. So we had it for the whole season last year. And it has been so popular. There are so many locals that are coming in to enjoy it just during the day. Our customers are here and it's something for their kids to do and the adults to do in the evening. It's been a big hit and it's myself and then one of the other owners Levi my brother you know we have younger kids and when you go places it's nice to have things like that that your kids can just go do a safe thing for them to go do that'll take up an hour or so at the time and it's so much fun I'm not sure if you've liked to mini golf or if you've never done it before too it doesn't matter you, anybody can come out and give it a try and it's right on the water it's got a beautiful view we have lights so you can do it in the evening in the summertime it's been really fun to watch all the people come in and out of this and I've got to tell you, folks, I've taken my kids several times to Mardon Resort. It is truly a family-friendly resort. You know, they've got the, the mini golf course now, but they've also got a swim beach. They've got uh, the restaurant, which has ice cream that they'll serve to the kids out in the front of the restaurant there. There's a store, and of course, there's the dock where you can go fishing and catch crappie or bluegill and sometimes bass and even bigger fish. It is just the perfect place for a family vacation either with the kids or or as a couple you know you want to go and just have some relaxing time some of the best sunsets you'll ever see are at mardon resort looking out over the reservoir and and i want to talk about all the improvements you've made i mean you've, you've got new rv sites you've got new camper cabins you've upgraded all your older rv sites you've got more park cottages and now you've bulldozed the bunkhouse which was kind of your motel that you had there what's going in there yeah, so um, we are really excited. We are planning to put in five standalone stick frame built 
rental homes. So they will have two bedrooms, a living room, full kitchen. They will all have a little outdoor barbecue area, outdoor seating, and they'll have a view of the lake. They'll obviously sit in that same place that the bunkhouse was removed from, and it's going to be absolutely beautiful. We're so excited to get that rolling. It's, you know, going to be a process all summer. We're hoping to have them done September, October of this year, if all goes well, we can get everything we need to build them in a timely manner. Are these going to be long-term rentals or vacation rentals? These are vacation rentals. So these will be weekend rentals, weekday rentals, just like our cottages are and our camper cabins, our RV spots. So not long-term. It'll definitely just be vacation weekend rentals. Oh, boy. Just another reason to book a stay at Mardon Resort. And I've got to talk about this. The COVID pandemic was very good to resort owners, especially Mardon Resort. Every time I drove by the resort last year, it seemed from March all the way through October, it seemed like you were just full all the time. Lots of people are coming there. Do you even have any openings for this spring and summer? You know, our weekends are fairly booked. Um, We do have lots of openings if people can sneak away on the weekdays this spring. Summertime, we also still have weekday openings. And believe it or not, we actually do have a few of our cottages open for Memorial Day weekend. If anybody's looking for a last-minute trip over, we had a few people that couldn't make it. So we do have some of those open. But yes, you know, like I said, we are fairly booked on weekends. But if you can come on the weekdays, we do have weekday rates on our larger rentals. We would love to accommodate you. Well, there you go. And definitely, if you're looking for Memorial Day getaway, the park cottages are the bomb. I love staying in those. Each one's got its own individual decoration in terms of a a different theme to it, and they're very comfortable to stay in indeed. So if you want to book a stay at Mardon Resort or just find out more about this wonderful place, go to mardonresort.com. That's M-A-R-D-O-N, mardonresort.com. But hurry, space is definitely limited. This is a great place to recreate in, and lots of people know that. Annie, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you so much, Sean. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Roger Phillips on the line again. He's the public information supervisor for the Idaho Department of Fish and Game, and it's time for our monthly roundup of outdoors news from the Gem State. Roger, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. So a few things of note have come up as of late. Uh, First off, the agency killed some wild elk after they entered a domestic elk ranch. Where was this, and why did this occur? Well, it was up in Garden Valley area, north of Boise, a little bit northeast of Boise, and simply there was uh, a gate left open and some wild elk decided that whatever was being fed inside of that pen looked pretty tasty. They went in there, the operator of the facility closed them in there and notified us, and 
because we are now a chronic wasting disease state and we just can't risk any possibilities of uh, disease transmissions. And unfortunately, the only way to test is on dead elk. We went in and dispatched those five elk and hauled them off or getting them processed. And if they test positive for CWD, they will be given to a food bank. But an unfortunate situation for everybody that we just had to deal with. And again, those disease issues, we take those very seriously. I want to clarify something here. You said if the elk test positive, they will be given to a food bank? I thought it'd be the other way around. Oh, yes. Thank you for catching that. Yes. If the elk test negative for chronic wasting disease, we will be giving those to a food bank to be distributed to the public. That's what I thought you meant to say, Ed. Folks, we don't recommend you eat any animal that's tested positive with chronic wasting disease, even though there's no evidence that there's any transmission to humans. Just to be safe, it's not a good idea to eat any animal that does test positive. Speaking of ranches and domestic animals, understand you've been having some issues with grizzly bears attacking livestock. Yeah, you know, it's it's a sad situation, and it's one, unfortunately, we have to deal with, and we're in the process of, you know, getting that one taken care of, but, you know, wildlife and livestock just don't always interact on nice bases sometimes, and this is another one that we just have to deal with, and not a fun part of the job at all, but at the same time, we got to deal with it. Is this just one suspected grizzly bear that's done two attacks on livestock? You know, we're never sure on that, but that's probably, you know, pretty much the circumstantial evidence usually leads to that. Quite often when we take care of one of them, just for the sake of argument, if it was two and, and it stops, then we consider it kind of concluded. So, you know, it's hard to nail down exactly what happens with each of these cases, but we can usually remedy them by, by removing a bear. I think a lot of people know that wolves will attack livestock, and I think people know that the cougars can as well. I don't think many people know that the grizzly bears will do this too. Were these sheep or were these cattle that were attacked? I'm going back here and double-checking, but uh, llama and sheep. Yeah, uh, for whatever reason, grizzly bears, at least in Montana, when you hear of livestock attacks, it seems like it's almost always sheep. Yeah, unfortunate situation, and then one that we'll take care of. All right, well, let's turn to better news instead of all this depressing stuff here. The annual Fish and Game Fur Auction is happening now. It's, it started April 18th. It's going through the 25th, and it's all online. Why don't you tell our listeners more about this? Well, it's a really fascinating one. We collect a whole bunch of odd stuff through various reasons, whether... It's evidence in poaching cases or things that have been confiscated or just things that we end up with in strange ways. And there's a whole list of them out there. This could be pelts. This could be antlers. Um, a couple years ago, we had some frozen pronghorn thongs, which I, I don't even remember how we ended up with those. <laughs> but anyway, those, those all get auctioned off. And I think these things become kind of popular. Some of them, obviously, you know, a nice set of elk antlers is certainly something that, that people want, but at the same time, we find people who find hides and skulls and things like that. Very fascinating, and it's a chance for people to legally obtain these through an, op- through an auction. And I presume they just go to the Idaho Department of Fishing Game website and, and look for the link to that auction? Correct. Okay. Last topic to talk about, turkey season is in full swing in Idaho. How have things gone so far? You know, I saw a really cool picture recently of a gal who went out, a young gal, probably pre-teenager, who killed her third turkey, her third tom, no less, 
And I got to be quite frank, I was a little bit jealous. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's good to see those kids out there getting turkeys, and the adults are open the 15th. So we've had a fairly mild to normal winter, so I don't think we lost a bunch of birds. It's like all hunting. Some areas are going to do better than others, but I think people should get out and enjoy a good turkey field. And correct me if I'm wrong, turkey populations in Idaho are not only healthy, but they seem to be growing year over year, don't they? Well, yeah, it's kind of a tricky one because, you know, when we talk about the whole state, you know, it's some areas are doing better than others. But, man, up in the panhandle in the Clearwater, it's just one of those where, you know, there's always really healthy numbers of birds up there. Some, some of them become nuisances up there, so we offer some pretty good opportunity up there for multiple tags and then just all around the state, you know, people get out and find these things, and they're obviously a really fun bird to hunt and an opportunity to hunt in the spring. So get out and enjoy it. We have probably about a, I think it's about a five-week season, and a lot of folks just concentrate on that first weekend or two. But, you know, I've been out and found birds in mid-May, too, and the weather's a little nicer. So just get out and enjoy it, and don't think that you missed it because you weren't out there for the first couple of weekends. Sounds like some very good advice and a, a very good reason to head to Idaho or if you're in Idaho to get out there and do some turkey hunting. We've got to go, but Roger, always appreciate the insight. And folks, if you want to find out more about what's going on in Idaho, just go to the Idaho Department of Fish and Game website. Just Google that. You'll find it right away. And look for the news releases. There's all sorts of news always coming out from the Gem State when it comes to the outdoors. Roger, have a great weekend. Hey, you too, John. Take care. Next up on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, got a help wanted situation for you here. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking for seasonal employment this summer, I can think of few places better to go than Southeast Alaska, specifically Sportsman's Cove Lodge on Prince of Wales Island, a short float plane ride away from Ketchikan. They are looking for an experienced charter boat captain with a U.S. Coast Guard license who's really good with people and is willing to work hard. And if you are that person or if you know that person, you really need to get a hold of the owner, Captain Mac McQuarrie at Sportsman's Cove Lodge, because if you're the right person here, you're going to really be happy. You're going to probably come back season after season like most of the captains do. And if you've never fished Southeast Alaska before, that's okay. Several of the charter boat captains actually spend most of their time in Florida taking folks fishing out in the Gulf or in the Atlantic Ocean. And they come to Sportsman's Cove Lodge from June through September to go ahead and take clients fishing. The reason they come back is because, number one, you're going to get your own accommodations. You're going to be very well fed. As a matter of fact, you'll be eating with the guests. You'll get the same food the guests do, and it is delicious. And it's just a beautiful setting to work in. Not only that, you'll be part of a fleet of six boats, and so the other captains will dial you in in a hurry in terms of where to go and how to catch the halibut and the salmon and the cod and the other fish that your clients will be reeling in every day. Not only that, the clientele here is very generous with the tips. You're going to be very well compensated. If this sounds like an opportunity for you, go to alaskasbestlodge.com. That's the website for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. And if you're not a captain and you're thinking, boy, I'd like to work there, guess what? They are looking for a bookkeeper. They're looking for people on their maintenance team. And they're looking for people on their hospitality team, too. Just go to alaskasbestlodge.com. Look for the page where there's employment opportunities and contact the folks at Sportsman's Cove and apply. 
With any luck, I will be seeing you there this July when I head up to Sportsman's Cove Lodge with my daughter. And sticking with Alaska, we've got to tell you about our friends at Sina Sea. They're the ones that deliver wild-caught Alaskan seafood right to your door. They catch their halibut and sable fish and salmon. We're talking Chinook, Coho, and Sockeye near the mouth of the famed Copper River and in Prince William Sound. And seasonally, they are also catching king crab, tanner crab, and shrimp. You can check out the selection they have available by going to their website at cenasea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, cenasea.com. And use the promo code of Outdoors Radio and you'll get 10% off your entire order. That website again, cenasea.com for premium wild-caught Alaskan seafood. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com. Want to go fishing and make money? You are in luck. This year's Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery kicks off May 1st. Just register at a check station and go fishing for 9-inch or longer northern pike minnow within designated waters of the Columbia or Snake River. Then you bring your fish back and collect a voucher good for a cash reward. The more fish you catch, the more they're worth. Catch a pike minnow with a special tag and you've landed 500 bucks. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. That's pikeminnow.org. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Better still, the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips and in-store seminars, all designed to help you bag a trophy or a limit. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. Public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. I'm glad you're back. The spring sale continues at Sportsman's Warehouse, but not for long. It's ending Sunday, and if you're looking to get some bargains this spring, you better hurry up. We are talking about rod and reel combos. We are talking about cannon downriggers. We are talking about fly fishing combos and even pellet grills from Camp Chef. $100 off on one of those. In addition to this, we've got fish finders that are on sale, pontoon boats and accessories. You can even get a deluxe sit-on-top kayak that's $100 off, only $350. That is a really good deal. In addition to this, they've got hiking boots, tents, apparel, and more. Everything you need for this spring and summer, just go down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse store and check it out this weekend. And now it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week. And it's about the river otter. 
I love these animals. They are gregarious. They're also very effective predators in their own right. And you've probably seen them in area lakes and rivers frolicking around or maybe hunting or caring for their pups. But here is your question. Can you find river otters in the saltwater? I mean, everyone knows that sea otters are in the saltwater, but what about river otters? Do you ever see river otters in the saltwater? If you think you know the answer, you know what to do. Go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. If you haven't already, please like and follow the page. That really helps us out. And then go to the post thread where we have the question and give us your answer there. If you don't do Facebook, I completely understand. Just go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com and let us know. Will you ever see a river otter swimming around the salt water? One lucky person who contacts us through our website or through Facebook with the right answer is going to win that $25 gift card we give away just about every week from America's Premier Outfitter. It's time to wrap things up, and I hope you enjoyed your Easter as much as I did. I enjoyed a really nice outdoor service at the local fairgrounds, and then my wife made me a wonderful breakfast. We got to see the neighbor kids go on an Easter egg hunt, and then I got to make a nice dinner. Not traditional Easter, more of a surf and turf meal, but we sure enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed your Easter too, and that you'll be enjoying the spring weather that is hitting us now. Hopefully we're past all that cold stuff and we can get on with spring moving into summer. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. Outdoors.